Maybe Morgan dressed like Wolverine Maybe Dave ate his way out of trouble Maybe Tuscan's diorama came in last Maybe Morgan tunneled out of jail Maybe Dustin ran for council member Maybe Dave found himself horribly miscast Find out what happened Yes, find out what happened Since when last we left our Welcome to When Last We Left Our Podcast, a bi-weekly storytelling podcast hosted by me, Morgan Pielli. Me, Dave War. And me, Dustin Diodato. Each week we tell true life stories inspired by events that happened to us since the last time we recorded this podcast. When last we left our podcast, Morgan considered a nose job. Dave said goodbye to a dog, and Dustin almost didn't feel like crap for a day. This week, Dave gets in his own head. Morgan has problems with sex. And Dustin recalls the worst trip to the nurse he's ever had. Here's, uh, I, I want to talk about it because I always feel, we yeah. listen to the theme song before we start. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really admire Morgan's commitment that he, uh, he dug his way out of jail and is still here <laughs> to yeah. record the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I am devoted to this podcast. Law will not stop me. Right. Because, I mean, it's dangerous. You, like, you, you should just flee. And, I am and, on the run, yeah. Right. Yeah. Never, you know, like, never have contact with people from your old life. But. Every time we record and I hear a helicopter outside, I have to drag the mic under the table just to be on the safe side. What did you do? I'd rather not say. All I'll say is it involves a briefcase, $74,000, and a severed foot. So I had sex with a severed okay. foot. Okay. <laughs> y'all, you, y'all, For money. You, guys, you guys all heard about David Cameron, right? Yeah, I had to really do some research to find that. Everyone just yeah, kept talking about the pig, and I had no idea what the, this meant. At a certain point, what? the pig was so omnipresent that nobody knew I, what I, it meant. I don't, know what, so, I don't know what you mean. So if you go on the internet, you'll see a lot of stories about David Cameron and a pig with no context whatsoever. Apparently what the story is, and as far as I know, this is all there is to it, is... Some guy wrote a story saying, hey, back when I was at college, I remember David Cameron putting his penis into the severed head of a pig. Now, there's no proof of this. There's no photographic evidence. It's just some guy saying a thing in an article. But boy, does the world love the idea that David Cameron fucked a dead pig head. Yeah, I I do. Yeah. Yeah. And now people have been retroactively pulling up any picture of him holding a pig or any quote of him talking about pigs. Apparently he put forth some bill for pig semen at mm-hmm. some point. Like, everything pig-related is there's, just been there's dredged a, up. There's a, one of those um, mashups where they uh, take a single word from a speech and just run them together and, to uh, get in jiggy with it. Oh, but it's no. getting piggy with it. Oh, and nice. it's David Cameron just singing a rap song about he's going to fuck a pig's mouth. <laughs> um, uh, we should get into our story soon, but I did see an article uh, recently about Ted Nugent um, who does not believe that Obama is a Christian? Right. They said uh, if Obama's a Christian, uh, I am a a gay vegetarian pirate. And I was like, I guess you're a gay vegetarian yeah. pirate. Yeah, I guess so. I um, I'm glad you're forcing the world to make him relevant in some way. Right. I, I the thing that bothered me about it, I was like, okay, I could see where like you feel as though you are the opposite of gay. Right. I could mm-hmm. see where you feel you're the opposite of vegetarian. <laughs> How do you picture yourself yeah. being in the opposite of pirate? Also, in the world of Ted Nugent, in his racist, heterosexual, overly male fantasy world, wouldn't being a pirate be a good thing? Right. You'd think. That's, I, like, uh, pretty badass, right? I have, a, I have a Twitter list called Clown Penis, uh, which I look at whenever I'm, uh, I want to feel upset, and it's, and it's all people like Ted Nugent. 
Uh, Nuge doesn't tweet very much, but when he does, it's all flurried stream of consciousness <clears throat> f- fury. <laughs> yeah. And um, um, a lot of it's directed at like hunting animals and, 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 and killing them. Um, he is one of the worst people in the world. Mm-hmm. Like no, not not even not even like uh, with hyperbole. If you read what he has to say, if you if you listen to him, he's how how is he alive? Being as bad as he is, right? I think there are probably a bunch of warlords that probably exceed his. Nugent would is only not that because he doesn't have the opportunity to be. Like you, you can't you can't really be a warlord in America, and it's too comfortable to leave America. But if he if he were if he came up. In, in sub-Saharan Africa, and he he had to be, he'd probably get killed because he's a pussy. But, you know, um, you get what I'm saying. Right. I brought this on myself by you, mentioning you Ted Nugent. You brought Ted really, Nugent, the worst you, man you, in the world. You brought a can, you brought a can opener, you yeah. presented them before us. Um, yeah. uh, you want to get into yeah, your... Yeah, let's, uh, get into my, let's, let's get talk about Ted Nugent some more, how he's a sack of garbage. He's a, I think that, that's, this feels like a second podcast opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ted Nugent, sack of garbage. Every week we get together and talk about. <laughs> I like the idea of a t- podcast where we place Ted Nugent in a different historical context and play out what would have happened. Well, in my head, in most of them, he gets murdered very quickly. Right, right. But in a couple, he has wacky misadventures. It's true. That's it. That'd be a, that'd be a great uh, Adult Swim uh, like late night cartoon. Just the wacky adventures of Ted Nugent <laughs> through time and space. Yeah. Um, apparently, there's a show called Danger Five. Yes. Uh, where they hunt Hitler every episode? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I just started watching it. It's all right. Um, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but some friends of mine are very big fans. I, yeah, it, they, it's based on old, like, those old, like, men's macho magazines from the 40s and 50s. Sure. And, but also spoofing the kind of spy genre, that, like, poorly produced 70s-era spy genre. Um, the person who uh, gives them their orders is wearing a very nice, like, natty suit, and he has a, an American eagle for a head. Yep. And he ends every um, or, uh, mission briefing with, and as always, kill Hitler. <laughs> it's it's a very adult winny sort of a show. Sure. Okay. Um, well, anyway, that was our pitch for uh, the Wacky Adventures of Ted Nugent Throughout Time and Space, Adult Swim, if you're listening. Uh, and I'll tell my story. So uh, I grew up in Boston. And I was a very anxious, worried child. Um, one of the one of the things that is interesting about that is uh, I didn't know it. Uh, I knew I was a worrier, but I didn't really know uh, that there was a way to live that wasn't um, an intense sense of pressure on my chest until more recently, um, uh, because you, it's it's like if you if you've never seen blue, you don't know there's blue. You just assume that the sea's gray and um, people keep referencing that as blue and you're like, Oh, that's blue. Uh, so I, I didn't know that there was a way to be that wasn't anxious. I thought everybody felt this way. Um, and, uh, growing up, um, you know, anxiety is, it can be, uh, uh, hereditary. And in my case, it, it definitely is partially both my parents are pretty anxious people. Um, but it, it's also one of those things Growing up, my mom probably did me no favors by uh, repeatedly referring to me as a warrior uh, when I was young. Whenever I would get to a certain like level of anxiety, she'd be like, oh, you're a warrior, David. And I'd be like, well, I guess I am. I should worry. 
you know, like you kind of are, when you're young, you paint, uh, you're painted with the brush, you're, you're painted with the color you're painted with. Um, if that makes sense. It doesn't, but I'll go on. No, it absolutely does. I mean, my mom used to do very similar things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm, probably, I'm sure one of the reasons I went to the arts was she made a big deal about how I was the artist of the family. And sure. that was something that she played up a lot as being a positive thing. Kind of the opposite of what you experienced. But. Well, no, I mean, my parents also talked about my positive features. Right, you know, they're, but they're like, helping you build an identity for better right. words. Exactly. And um, uh, my mom would also, I mean, in her own anxiety, she would spend a lot of time worrying about myself and my brother and how we were going to be killed by kidnappers or... Uh, poisoned by our peanut butter or whatever. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of worry and anxiety in the air growing up. Uh, and then I left uh, home. So then I moved to New York. Um, and New York is uh, bad for anxiety in a lot of ways. Uh, but in its anxiety uh, provocation, kind of good for combating anxiety. And what I mean by that is uh, New York will put you in contact with a lot of anxiety-provoking events, um, including uh, aggressive people and um, people who might want to take things from you and, and uh, anger and, and uh, fear. Um, and if you start watching yourself in those situations, you'll notice that you're anxious and the anxiety did nothing for you. Um, and then if you're lucky in those situations, you'll also realize... I'm still here, and I'm okay, and the anxiety did nothing for me, so maybe I should do something about that. I believe it was Kelly Clarkson who said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. She was the first. She was yes, the she first was, to know, ever say that. Coined that expression. Yeah. Um, so, been in New York for about uh, 13 years at this point, and I... Um, I've lived in uh, Sunnyside, Queens for 10 of those years, and Sunnyside is kind of lovely. It's um, a, tr a lot of tree-lined blocks. It doesn't really feel like it. Uh, it still feels like the city, but it doesn't feel like it's the city. Um, it's a uh, quiet neighborhoodish, and relatively small. There's only about 30,000 people in Sunnyside. If you ignore the fact that it's got the Avenue of Death. If you ignore the Avenue of death. What the is the Avenue of Death? Queens Boulevard, which runs right through it. The seven run, runs right on top of it. Um, Deadliest road in America. Deadly. Really? Is yeah. Crap. It is eight lanes of basically highway traffic running through the center of Sunnyside. Right. Minus that. Minus that. Beautiful. Minus that. Beautiful. Uh, minus, minus the nightly scurry I make home uh, trying to avoid being murdered by a car. Uh, so I've lived there for about a decade. Um, and I love it. I work there now. I've worked in Sunnyside for about, uh, two or three years as a professional dog walker, as fans of this, uh, podcast are no doubt aware. And I, um, I've been combating my own anxiety during that time. I've started to get a handle on it, started to feel like I'm starting to make headway on it after many years of not even realizing it was there and that it was holding me back. But one of the things that makes me extremely anxious is my job. And not necessarily like a lot of the job parts of the job, but the scheduling part of the job. I don't know why, but I'm made very anxious by the idea that I'm getting late uh, in work. In rest of life, if I'm a little late to something, not so anxious about it. But for some reason, 
if I start being late on the day, I know I'm going to be late for the rest of the day, later and later to the rest of the walks. And this cascading element of that starts to make me extremely anxious because I have to live it for the next six hours as I get late, as I get later and later and later until the last walk, which has to start by five or the guy will get mad at me. The guy, by the way, is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And being mad at me is, hey, do you think you could come and get the dog a little earlier? It's just, he really said five was the latest. And, you know. and that was, that's happened once, <laughs> to be clear. I don't know why this terrifies me, but it does. It makes me so anxious trying to get to five when I know I'm already like 20, 30 minutes late. Uh, and today I was running late from go. The first walk, uh, something went a little wrong with one of the dogs. And um, he's, she's fine. But I had to call her owner and be like, hey, is this okay? And the owner uh, couldn't get back to me immediately. So I had to leave a message and stay with the dog because I wasn't going to leave the dog uh, if, if the dog wasn't okay. So that put me back. I'm about 15 minutes late. And I'm just racing through the day because... I had initially scheduled that final walk for 4.45, which meant if I lost any more time, I would be past five. <laughs> if I lost any more time, I'd be there at the time I actually did get there, which was 5.05, and nobody gave a fuck. But again, so anxious. Running through my walks, uh, running through my walks, <laughs> uh, uh, running through the day, getting everything done as efficiently as I can and actually doing a pretty good job of it and staying on top of my anxiety, which is great. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about it, but getting so deeply inside that, that I stop paying attention to a lot of things. Just get from walk to walk, to walk, to walk, to walk, to walk. And I'll remind you that my job is essentially to play with dogs. So like, Losing contact with that is incredibly weird, and it shouldn't be happening. Um, this is how anxiety works, I guess. So I pick up a couple of dogs, um, and they make me a little nervous uh, because one of them is a little new. Uh, it's, a, it's a dog I haven't walked very much who has a door that is difficult to open. The key, it's one of those Queen's doors where the key just jiggle it a bunch so I'm worried about falling behind on that and the other one um I have when I drop her off I have to feed her and sometimes she eats really slowly and then I have to crate her so I can't just leave her with the food so that's a pain so if if they don't if I don't do it right then I'm more late get the dogs I'm walking them together they're not fighting great they're not we're walking down the street there's some broken glass on the ground. I walk them around it. Uh, there's a UPS truck to my left with a broken window, whatever. Uh, I walk them up the street and uh, away, uh, having picked them both up, take them out for half an hour. Bring the other, bring them back. Where there was a broken glass and a UPS truck, there's now four cop cars and an ambulance. And I'm looking around, there's a guy in the back of one of the cop cars. 
and one of the UPS driver who's having the, the ambulance, uh, the EMT, uh, is pouring uh, rubbing alcohol on his arm. And look at it. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> and a couple other UPS truck drivers are coming up the street and like starting to un, uh, unpack the, the truck, you know, and take on, take on the other guy's work. So I walk the dogs back, drop one of them off. And as I'm walking her into her building, uh, one of those UPS guys follows me in. So I'm like, hey, everything okay? Because you see the same delivery guys, you know, and you start to be like, hey, we both work in the neighborhood, whatever. <laughs> we hold doors for each other. That's nice of us. Um, and he goes, yeah, um, basically, I think what happened was the UPS truck stopped in front of a driveway while he was unloading. The guy who owns the driveway yelled a racial slur at him. Some stuff was exchanged, and then the guy who owned the, owns the driveway got out a bat Whoa. and broke every window in the UPS truck and then ran away. <laughs> and so the cops had to find him and arrest him. And I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. All right, well, have an uneventful day. Drop the dog off. Thought about that. And I thought about the fact that I walked through, the, the response time on the cops is not, is not bad in Sunnyside. It's pretty good if there's an active assault in progress. I walked through the direct aftermath. There were no cop cars when I first walked by all that broken glass. I was like, oh, got to get the dogs around that. Dogs, 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 I'm late. I must have missed that by 10 seconds, half minute maybe. And I, I'm sure there was ample evidence as to what had occurred. I'm sure I just missed it because I'm a fucking idiot and was so in my head about anxious shit that doesn't matter that I very well could have blundered into an actual very dangerous situation. So I'm making progress. But I, I got some I work mean, to do. I think you're being a little hard on yourself because... I mean, had you blundered, blundered as you put it, into an active crime scene, I think you probably would have been roused from your in-your-head stupor. Whereas, I don't think there's, I mean, I think any of us in that situation would have glass, well, it's New York. Broken windows, well, it's New York. I mean, no, I mean, like, how, how long were you inside from the time that you walked through it and then came back? Oh, so, well, from the time, so what happened was I walked around the building one way and missed whatever happened, walked past it. On, after walking the dog out of the building mm-hmm. and then was out and around for like 20, 25 minutes. Okay, right. Because my impression was that you were really bearing the most important part of the story in that UPS has an amazing response time. <laughs> and that like within five minutes, they were like on it. We're like, no, we're delivering these fucking packages and sent like a bunch of people there. As, as it was, I was pretty like, wow, UPS, go. Like, yeah. You know? I'm shocked by their commitment. I just yeah. figured they're like, ah, oh, fuck it. We'll get everything there tomorrow. Yeah. No, no. 
one man goes down, everybody else step <laughs> up. And the guy didn't look terribly badly injured or whatever, but like, it, I mean. Still, that's some scary shit. I mean, well, that's it's right on the baseball bat. It's not even that it's scary from my perspective. It's just like, what did I miss all day? Like, what did I walk through? What have I been missing, you know? Both the good and the bad. That's one of those things that's always on my mind, especially in New York, but anywhere, is like, how many close calls have I had in my life and not known? How many scary situations have I walked through completely oblivious because either I was in my own head or I don't know to see, you know, the certain signs. Um yeah, I don't have an answer other than, like, that's what living is, I guess. There's nothing more to it than everyone is leading their own little crisscrossing paths, and you just never know. Yeah. Anyway, that's what happened to me literally today. Well, I'm glad you're not dead. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm glad, glad your windows weren't broken. <laughs> Morgan, you want to uh, yeah. want to hit us up? Sure, I'll hit you guys up with some story action with the baseball bat of my story, the windows of your... Open heart. Yeah, considering you, uh, you said your story is about sex. It is. Yeah, about I think. Sex. I think your analogy of the baseball, baseball bat, bat. Yeah, and some broken glass. Yeah, really rough guys. No, so I am. I'm not an actor, and but I'm a performer. I do storytelling, and every now and then I've been known to do comedy things. But recently, I've been getting more and more acting stuff coming my way through no fault of my own. It's just how things have worked out. So. Last week, for example, like I go to auditions for voiceover stuff a lot. And they don't consider that acting because they specifically don't want actors. They want people who have no acting experience. You just sound natural. But I got uh, an audition for an on-camera part where it's still technically vo- voiceover because I would be inside of an alien, a rubber alien costume. Um, I don't know if you remember those Quiznos ads with those two improv people where they're in a car and they're being sarcastic back and forth. Hmm. The ad was for some internet company and they wanted... Something that was felt like that, but with two aliens being sarcastic and a flying saucer. So I went in, and it was an actual... I've never had a screen test before, so I'm guessing that's what this was, where, like, they led me and another guy into a room, and they had, like, the script written on a whiteboard, and they took pictures of our faces, and then they had us each read the different parts, and they took pictures of us doing that, and then we left. Um, and it's, it's a weird experience for me. Um, so I had that, and, like, actually tomorrow I've got another one where I'm actually not in a costume. I just have to play like a schlubby guy under the uh, height of five foot seven, approximately 35 to 40 years old. I have to go in wearing like work clothes and look schlubby, which is also weird for me that I have to go in with like a costume and play a part because I don't have this experience. And it makes me think back to when I was an undergrad and I took the one acting class I ever took. I felt really uncomfortable doing it um, because I'm not having someone talk to me with fake emotions in my directions, it, like, fucks with my head a bit. I remember I took, we had this one um, class exercise where it was me and this other woman, and the scene was that I was in a laundromat and she was flirting with me. And I knew she had no interest with me, but she was a good enough actress that the flirting felt really weird, felt really weird, real, and made me feel really, really weird and uncomfortable. So last weekend, um, a, a storyteller friend of mine named Athlete Painting, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Uh, she's putting together a one-woman show. And the show is called Phone Bone. It's going to be at the Tank uh, next month. And it's about her experience uh, many years ago as a phone sex operator. And so she wanted her friends, uh, other storytellers, to meet up at her place where she would record us all being like the creepy guys on the other end of a phone sex call. 
Um, the way this worked was there's basically two types of client scenarios that we were playing. There is one's called the two pump chump, and then the other one is the party line. Uh, the party line is very, very straightforward. It's a whole bunch of guys call into one number, and there's one woman there, and it's the operator who works for the company, but she's pretending to just be another person in the room. So it's all the guys like kind of talking around each other to try to get her attention and being creepy and like, yeah, I'm jerking off to you right now. Yeah, tell me about your tits. Like, what do you like? But also like not acknowledging that there are other guys in the room because otherwise it might, I guess, seem gay in that sort of macho heterosexual mindset of someone who would call in a phone sex line. And that's a real thing? That's a real thing. That's the party line. That... So she pretends to just be like, oh, I'm just this girl who's just hanging out here. And she said one thing that I thought was really interesting was she said that one thing that gets guys excited if she feels like she's losing them is to mention that she has a boyfriend because then there's this competitive quality because they're like getting one over on this other guy. Like, oh, I have this boyfriend, but he doesn't like doing this, 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 or this. But I thought maybe I'd find some cute guys here who are interested in that. So that was the party line. The two-pump chump is um, that's the one-on-one call where it's a guy who's like got about two minutes on the line and it's one-on-one, just him and the operator, and it's very graphic. And, you know, she has this couple of set characters that she'll play. Um, I think she said it was, like, the the foreign character, just a generic foreign character, the girl next door, and I think, like, the secretary or something like that. But, like, all of the operators have, like, this stock set of characters they play. But one of the re- other reasons called the two-pump chump, there's a, a subset of this called unicorning, which is a term I'd never heard before. The way unicorning is very, very literal. Because her responses to whatever the creepy sex stuff the guys are saying are fairly generic, it's very easy to cram a second call in there. So she'll get a call, she'll start a conversation with a guy, then she'll get the signal they're putting somebody else through. So she'll take a second headphone with a microphone and put it perpendicular over her head so that the microphone is now hanging off of her forehead like like a hanging down unicorn horn. So she's talking to two different guys using the same dialogue, which works unless one of the guys says something very specific. The example she used was she had one guy say, like, like I want to put mayonnaise up your pussy. Do you want me to put mayonnaise up your pussy? Say you want mayonnaise up your pussy. And she had to, like, figure out a way around that sort of without getting letting the other guy know that she's talking to another person. Like, yeah, put it in me. Sort of a thing. <laughs> you're going to ask a question, dude? No. No? Okay. No, I saw your hand not. go up, but... Um, no, it was, it was more just, wow, that's an, an intensely specific thing to want. Yeah, it is. That was an actual t- example? That was an example she gave, yeah. Um, so she had us basically take part in these two different things. She's recording the dialogue, and the way it was going to work is that um, we would all say the creepy stuff and she would mouth the responses without actually speaking it onto the mic because she's going to be playing this live for her one woman show. And then she'll say her responses, you know, in front of the audience. Um, so doing the, the party line was easy and fairly fun. It was me and two other guys, uh, drew. And I think Will was the, uh, the other gentleman. And because we're all in the room together, it had much more of an improv feel to it. We're all kind of playing off each other. And, like, it's weird to be making, like, sex sounds in front of other people, but it just started to get more and more surreal, and we started to just, like, have fun with the characters wanting weird shit. That just became kind of that funny sort of, like, really gross improv game. Now, I should say that the way this was being recorded, I 
didn't know what to expect when she said we're all going to, you know, meet up and we're going to record stuff because her uh, boyfriend is a sound, is like a, an audio guy. But her setup was literally just this one handheld recording device. And the only room we could record in was her bedroom because it had the air conditioning for when between takes and also because we could close the door to get like, you know, to close out any surrounding sound. And her apartment's like, it's a nice apartment, but it's kind of small. So with all of us in there, that was fine. But when it was just me and her, there was this intimacy that we couldn't avoid. And it was really weird for me. Like I had to sit really, really close to her. Our heads were like really close because we had to be over the microphone and she's just wearing a tank top and it's really, really hot in there. And making sex sounds for about 10, 15 minutes, like, I got really lightheaded. I, I was just dripping sweat. And, like, it's hard to explain, but like anything, if you start doing certain motions, your body starts to go, oh, this is a thing we're doing now. So, like, even though she's a very nice person, but she's not someone that I'm particularly attracted to. I don't know her very well. Um being in this very close proximity to her and making these sounds and these motions and having her respond, even though it was mute, I could see what she, her responses were. Like I found myself getting a little turned on and that was a really weird, uncomfortable experience. Um, and because it's like, I'm single right now. I've been single for about a year. I'm at a point right now where like a stiff breeze turns me on, you know, like and I'm not actively pursuing anyone because I'm, you know, I'm not really interested in anything short term. But biologically, my body is like, come on, Morgan, come on, what are you doing? So to be put in that sort of situation with just this one other person and it's specifically sex oriented, it was very, very strange. And while I had a really good time and I'm glad I did it, it was a lot of fun and it's a fun story. It also just made me realize like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really comfortable being an actor, I don't think. Like, that sort of facade and putting on a persona like that, it's, it really makes me uncomfortable. And I'll punctuate that by jamming my microphone to my arm again. <laughs> I, I went to the same school as you for acting. I'm trying to think if we were in... We weren't in this class. class. Uh, we were in dance class together. Because mm -hmm. remember, they had that thing where you had to take half a semester of dance in order to take drama. Yeah. And so we were in the same... I met you in that dance class. And then um, I think there was someone you knew in the drama class, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really tell, I can't even remember the professor's name. I know he had to leave halfway through because he got cast in an episode of Law and Order back when there was only one Law and Order, and he had red hair, but, right. and I remember sucking at that class. I was so nervous that I had to do my monologue with my eyes closed, and, like, I was still speeding through it, and I think I got a C. <laughs> I was just, I was really, like, I knew I wanted to perform in some capacity, but acting was n not it, apparently. At least, certainly not then. Even now, I, I just feel weird about that. I mean, not all acting has to be sex-related, but I can appreciate it. I don't follow. There's other, there's others. <laughs> I mean, because when we were playing aliens in that rubber costume, we were also fondling each other. Um, but it was alien right. sex, so it was your far removed. Actually, no, what they had us do right. was, we, we, when they were filming us, they had us just like pretend to do alien spaceship controls. Huh. So, yeah. I don't think I'm getting it. I think I would have heard by now if they'd cast me in that, which is a shame. I was actually looking forward to being in a rubber alien costume. That would have been fun. I don't know why you needed to, but whatever. What? <laughs> Why the person in the costume needed to be the same person that was the voice. If it really doesn't make any to. sense. I think... I gotta my, hire more people. 
My bet is that they hadn't decided how they wanted to do it yet, so they were just covering all their bases. Now, I don't know why I just got cast, in, or I got the audition for the schlubby business guy, because I don't do on-camera stuff. The alien one I can sort of see. This one, I, I'll go to it. and I'll you, have an my most, hmm? you have an agent? I'm doing it through an agency, yeah, but, I mean, it's been just voiceover for the agency for forever. I don't know why suddenly they got me this thing, but well, I'll try it. I mean, it's for somebody 5, 7, or less. Yeah, exactly. Specifically yeah. late 30s, late early 30s, 40s. Late 30s, early 40s. Who looks like he works at an office. Who looks like he works. Like, it's pretty much on I point. mean, the funny thing about this is uh, uh, I, I regularly get casting... Why are there so many dogs suddenly barking? They heard your story, Dave. Right. Yeah, couldn't they have done it earlier? Right? Um, uh, peek behind the curtain, guys. Uh, listen at home. <laughs> the fascinating there's, behind the there's a thousand dogs in this room, and they've all gone crazy. Yeah, I, any given, they're normally asleep when we record or heavily sedated. But yeah. Sometimes the sedation wears off a little early. Um, but no, I, uh, I regularly get casting notices through the theater I perform at. But um, they come through one very busy woman who does not have the time to pare down the thousand-person list to would act, who would actually be on these casting notices. So I get a lot of stuff for 65-year-old woman and 13-year-old <laughs> hmm. Indian man, like, where I'm like, you got a you got a pretty good range, so I, I, I would have, I, I would just try and go in. I, yeah. I, should, I probably yeah. should just start sending my pictures to those. Yeah, you could you make kind of go like Martin Short and just wear like a a very thick costume with some face uh, appliances and a funny voice. Funny voice is all you need. The yeah. Martin Short story. <laughs> I guess it's my turn. Yeah, it is your turn, Dustin. Okay, um, this story admittedly is uh, more of an inspired by this week uh, than it particularly happened this week. This week I was sick uh, and kind of uh, hibernating to a degree uh, so that I could be healthy because I had a lot of stuff coming up. Um, and it got me thinking back to a, uh, a, a time where, like, I, okay, I'm not, I, I'll, I want to say that I was sick, but that would be a lie. So let me start from the beginning. Um, I, when I was around like five years old, uh, I lived with my mom in an apartment. Um, the truth of the matter was I only lived there for about six months, but I didn't know that because memories start around that time. So I thought I always lived there. Uh, so uh, she would put me in a preschool. Uh, it was like a preschool kindergarten kind of thing. But it was, uh, it was in the middle of Westchester, but it had the characteristic of, uh, of like a little house on the prairie type thing where it was a school, but it only had one room. So like all of the different ages stayed in that one room, uh, or you could go outside and play, you know, in the playground area. Uh, so I went there when I was four, uh, and I went, then I, I again went there when I was five. And when you're four, you're required to kind of take a nap during the day. There was a specific like period of time when you napped. Uh, and when you are five, you are not, um, you're not even really encouraged to take a nap, but you just have to sit there in silence while the four year olds sleep. So for an hour, you can't do anything. No. So for an hour every day, 
you just awkwardly sat at a table, like, watching kids sleep in, in silence. They didn't give you a book or... No, you just sat there. It was a very bizarre situation. Um, so, uh, it, it was, you know, uh, and they got grilled sandwiches, grilled cheese sandwiches for lunch every day. And it was like a, it was just a, it was a weird school. Uh, and I, I would always be stuck there late, uh, cause my mom wouldn't come pick me up and they would, uh, have Sesame Street. We like, they had one episode of Sesame Street on a VHS tape. And they would just play it over and over again yeah. while you waited for your your you know loved one to come get you. And I was traditionally the last person there, so I saw that fucking episode of Sesame Street like so many goddamn times. I uh, I hate that show to to this day. <laughs> uh, I'm one of like the only people in the world that hates Sesame Street, but fuck that show. No, that would do it. Yeah, it totally did. Um, so uh, one day, uh, I, I tell you all this negative stuff about the the preschool. Uh, because one day I, I had enough, uh, and I was sick of, uh, being there and I had this idea that any time that I was sick, I would go to the nurse and they would call my mom and I would get to go home. Like, what if I pretend that I'm sick? But I'm not really sick, so I'm gonna do that. Like, and I decide I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell them that I don't feel well, and I'm gonna go, you know, I'm gonna go to the nurse. So I do that, and the nurse takes my temperature. She's like, "Oh yeah, you have 102," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> She's like, "You have 102," and I was like, "But, but I was lying." <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't want to tell her that I was lying. So it was like, okay, well, we're in this now. Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess call my call my mom. Like, um, and she called my mom. Uh, and my mom came to get me. Uh, and um, we didn't go home. We went to my grandmother's house. And she said, hey, um... We live here now, um, so uh, I'm going to get all your stuff, uh, but we live here now, so we're going to enroll you in the school here. And then we never went back. I just lived there then. Um, and there's not, there's not really a ton to the story other than that happened all in one day. Like she never made any, like, did you ever find out why? Well, yes, I did. Yeah. I, I eventually I found out, um, what happened. Like it, it was, it was highly coincidental that I happened to fake sickness and actually be sick. And she happened to pick me up and we happened to, uh, to go, uh, to my grandmother's house and we moved there from that point on. Um, the reason was, uh, a month prior, uh, her boyfriend, who um, was living with us, uh, got arrested for breaking and entering. Um, similar to the way she also got arrested for breaking and entering at that exact time. Um, and basically the, uh, um, the, she got probation and part of it was that she, now she could no longer afford to stay in the department. So we had to leave. So it was a very abrupt, like 
it was the end of the month and we oh, were moving wow. out of, uh, out of the apartment, uh, because we could. Um, so, but I discovered that like 15 years later. Like, wow. Uh, did you ask her at the time what was going on and she just didn't say or? No, it, uh, it, I don't think it occurred to me to ask her what was going on at the time. I just, I was just like, oh, this, this happened now. This is the new thing now. Yeah. Yeah. And the weirdest thing that I discovered, like, also 15 years later, was uh, that, because when I, when we got there, I was like, oh, this place is cool. It's got a backyard and it's got all these fun things. Um, Like, this is so exciting. Like, it's a new place. Um, and, uh, and I spoke to my dad about it and he's like, how did you not recognize that? And I was like, what do you mean? How did I not recognize it? It's like, like, cause you lived there up until six months prior to that. You only lived with your mom for six months. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, somehow during that six months, I had lost all recollection that I had ever been there before in my entire life. Wow. So what when were I got sick with that day, I don't know. <laughs> But, but like, it was a very weird day. That's why I feel like I need to tell people about it, because it's the weirdest goddamn day ever. Uh, so don't fake being sick, because you never know, like, when everything's going to be weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're going to move and leave, and fucking weird. So you were weird. definitely sick this week, huh? I, uh, no, actually, I was definitely sick this week. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like clever. this is the other time that I fake being sick. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my whole story. There's not like there's not a ton to it because I feel well, like don't sell yourself short. That's the craziest, yeah. weirdest thing, especially to happen to like a kid that age. Right, um, but I totally understand not questioning it because at a certain age, just like, well, this is what the adults are doing, and I've never had free will before. Yeah, all of my decisions are made for me. I guess right. this is the new thing now. In the same way, I didn't find out that that horrible feeling that there was there all the time for me didn't need to be until yeah. like I was la- way later in life. I just thought that was the background radiation of the universe. Yeah, yeah. well, how I assumed that parents didn't kiss or spend any time together. Right. That was oh, that's what parents are. No, that's just my. Parents' dysfunctional marriage. I had gotten the impression when I moved to, because this, when I moved to the new school, um, they had multiple rooms. They had so many rooms. (laughs) Each class was in its own room, uh, which was very exciting. Did you think they were going to cut you up and put a little part of you in (laughs) the room? Uh, But, like, I thought um, that this was, like, a rich kid's school. <laughs> it has more than one room. Right. Uh, like, it, it had so much diversity in, in rooms and, like, you know, like, you had to go in the hallway to go to the bathroom as opposed to just being, like, a weird room, you know. Just peeing in the hole like right. you used to, yeah. Um, and then, um, uh, then eventually I moved uh, when I went to middle school and we went on a field trip and uh, I got something called a permission slip. Uh, and... Like, oh, yeah, you fill out the permission slip, and then the boss will come, and, you you know, you'll go on the trip. And I was like, what do you mean? Uh, and um, I realized, looking back on it, that um, we never had permission slips in elementary school, although we went on field trips, um, because we couldn't afford to rent buses. So parents would just bring you places. <laughs> it was a tacit permission. Yeah, it was just like, well, you're, you know, 
Like you drove him here. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was all the permission we needed to lose him. Yeah. Right, yeah. you're with you're with your mom or your mom's friend. So cool. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> um, and and I, I was scarred by one particular one because we went to the Bronx Zoo. Uh, with my, I was with my grand. My grandmother was a chaperone for my small collection of people, and it was like a hundred and two fucking degrees. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Bronx Zoo. It is a fucking hot, shitty place I've during the been. summer. It reeks. I cannot imagine wanting it's, to go to a zoo in that kind yeah, of weather. It's awful, and I was like sweating, and I was about to pass out. And I said, like, "Hey, can I get something to drink?" And my grandmother said, "There's nothing to drink. They don't sell anything to drink at the Bronx Zoo." What? Yeah. Is that accurate? No. Why it's not remotely accurate. So she's like, just make it to the monorail and you'll be fine. And I puked all over the place because <laughs> I was like hit with heat stroke. And then eventually she found like a warm grape juice drink to uh, give me. Of course. Right. I agree. <laughs> so I no, I'm with you on all of this. So um, by the time I got to middle school, it was amazing. <laughs> Wow. Everything was wonderful. Wow. Um, although middle school super sucked. And that'll be a story for a different day. Um, all right. That's my uh, that's my story for this week. Yay, Yay, everybody. Do we have anything to promote that's coming up in the next week or so? Uh, Hello, Laser, every Thursday at the Magnet Theater. Very nice. Um, I'm waiting for Morgan to book me on another show, so I have nothing right now. <laughs> and I don't... I. I have two shows that I'm a guest on, but nothing that I'm booking. Um, Wednesday, I'll be at Freddy's Bar at 7 for... So what happened was, where I'll be talking about my middle school experience, and um, that's the uh, Sorry Not Sorry themed show. And then on Friday, I'll be at the Hi-Fi at 9.30 for Friday Night Stories, and I don't know what I'll be telling for that yet, so come by and see me flounder. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks for listening. Everybody. Please uh, find us on iTunes and rate us and review us. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.